0: What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for kicking off your week with us. This is your Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. This is a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter, at joeorico 99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. And in the event that Twitter does crash or the site goes down for a while or any other worst case scenarios we can come up with, you guys can get joined up in our Discord. Send me a message and we'll get you added up in there. All the content will remain the same, the same notes, the same articles, the same podcast links. Everything will remain if Twitter does crash or fail over on Discord. So please do send me a message. We'll get you added up in there. We added a ton of people over the weekend. And even if Twitter doesn't crash, it's just another area where you can you know, chat with people about fantasy All sports, fantasy, baseball, basketball, hockey, football, it's all in there. So get joined up regardless, but specifically if you are one of those people worried about Twitter uh, maybe not existing for too much longer. I'm definitely a little bit worried about it, not going to lie. It's been kind of stressful thinking about what would happen, having to start from zero followers again and all that stuff. But I think we're probably going to be okay here, Uh, knock on wood as I say that. Worst case, though, please do send me a message. We'll get you into our Discord Now, today we are going to take a break from what we have kind of been doing. We've done positional reviews for quite a while. We've mixed in some other content as well. We did some draft reviews. We've done a bunch of little different things throughout this offseason. We did a breaking news show last week because there was just a lot of stuff going on with Teosca Hernandez, Bryce Harper specifically. Today we're going to just check in on the ADP of the top couple of rounds of batters here from these first, what are we up to, 28 drafts that have taken place over on the NFBC. Now, I haven't really gone over this so much in these last couple of days over the weekend I was more focusing in on basketball haven't focused so much in on baseball uh, I guess since Friday when I did the last show here took a little bit of a pause and I just want to reset here and take a look what the ADP numbers are telling us right now I looked over it for a few minutes before the show started but there may be some things that come up here that as I'm looking down these boards that surprise me here as well So let's start off with the people who have gone as the number one overall pick in their drafts. 28 drafts have taken place so far. They're all draft and holds, which is if you guys are unfamiliar, you draft your whole team at the beginning of the season. There's no pickups. There's no fab. There's no waivers. There's no nothing. You pick 50 players. That's what most of these have been, 50, uh, 50 round draft and holds. And then that is what you have to go on for the entire season. There are no moves. There's no nothing. You set your lineups, of course, but that's about it. And then they've also introduced this new format, which I think is really interesting. I want to get into one or two of them, called a gladiator format, where you select, I believe, 23 players, and then that is it. I mean, with the draft champions, it's, it's a similar thing, but you draft 50 players. You do have some insurance in case your guys get hurt. You have like 27 pieces of insurance. Here you have nothing. You know, you, you're drafting right now. Let's just say you draft Verlander and there's some, you know, very unexpected turn and he decides to retire in the offseason. It's, you know, I don't think it's going to happen, but let's just say it did. Hypothetically, you would have no recourse, no one to replace him with, nothing. He would just be in your starting lineup the entire year. I think it's a really neat format. I think it's a $50 entry for you. I'm probably going to hop into a couple of those and we'll do some uh, we'll do some analysis on those as well. But the guys who have gone with the number 1 overall pick and draft so far, there are 5 of them. The first four are very expected, and then the last one, I guess you could expect it as well depending on format, but it's Trey Turner, Julio Rodriguez, Ronald Acuna, Jose Ramirez, and Shohei Ohtani. Turner, yes, absolutely. He's still the number one pick for me. We don't know where he's going to go, but that doesn't really matter so much. The floor is quite high enough with Turner regardless of where he plays. I mean, he's not going there, but I think you can make an argument that even if he was playing for, like, the athletics or you know he's not going back to the nationals but a similar team like that he could play pretty much anywhere and still return first round value for you it doesn't matter he's not somebody who's really impacted so much by location we saw it for a good chunk of last year on the nationals he was still a top two or three fantasy player i think he ended up as the number two overall player he ended up on the dodgers by the end of the season but even while he was on the piss poor nationals he still had incredible fantasy value so There are people who are fading him because they don't know the location. They're not sure what to expect in terms of where he's going to sign. He's not going to go to a bad team. Turner's going to go to either a decent, good team or a great team. Those are the only options that I see, really. He might go to Philly. Uh, He might go back to the Dodgers. Maybe he goes to, like, the Yankees or something. I don't think he's going to – probably not the Yankees because they're pretty – Taking care of its shortstop, but he's going to go to a, a solid team. Uh, maybe not an elite team, but he's not going to go anywhere where we'd have to move him off that one zero one spot for me. Uh, that's the spot where I would be taking him if I had the number one pick. He's the guy I would go for. His max pick is number five. Someone was able to get Trey Turner at number five. If you're able to get Trey Turner there, I, I don't know how, but I would jump on it constantly every day, you know, twice on Sunday, kind of thing. Julio, as the number one overall pick, I definitely feel a little bit skeptical that he can not that he can but that he necessarily will return that value number one overall you're asking a lot and with a lot of these guys that you draft in this range you're not really expecting exact return on investment you take a guy first overall you don't necessarily need him to finish first overall for it to be a good return he could finish fifth or sixth overall and you'd still be pretty happy with that just given how much variance there is injuries and the like It's very hard to reach that first, second-round investment because there's nowhere to really go up from. You can just kind of go down. But with Julio, I think there's a little bit more risk than we might be willing to look at. I don't think that he should be the number one fantasy player after only playing, I think it was 130 games. He's only played that in his entire career. Yes, he looks incredible. He looks like he could be a Hall of Fame player one day. But like something that we've said, something that guests throughout the year have said on this show and other shows, is that growth is not linear. And while I would still feel comfortable taking him probably fifth or sixth, fifth, I mean, even fourth, you know, he's, he's fine at four. But to take him at one or two, I think you're passing up some guys who have equal, if not greater value, and also... More of a track record to build on. This has been my argument with Julio, I'm not trying to bash on him. If I got to the fourth spot and Turner and Acuna and Ramirez are gone, then I'd probably take him. But I don't think there's any need for him to jump over Ronald Acuna and Jose Ramirez. I think that he's comfortably behind those guys simply because of track record, simply because these guys have done it for several years. With Jose Ramirez, it's been like eight years, seven years. Acuna, like five years. Turner, like seven, seven years. We know what these guys are going to do. Can they have a down year still? Absolutely. But there's something a little more concrete that we can look at and say, every year this guy hits 25 homers, he drives in 90, he hits 290. Okay. With Julio, it was an incredible rookie year, but he might take a step back a little bit, where with the other guys, I think it's a lot less likely. So uh, he's still, for me, in my rankings, number four, and I feel pretty good about it, but I don't feel good about him at one or two. I think we're, we're pushing our luck a little bit there. Acuna and Jose Ramirez... These guys, you could make an argument, you could take them first overall, and I'd have no problem with it. Ronald Acuna, I think, is going to have a massive season. I've talked about him as being an early favorite of mine for MVP in the National League. I think it's either going to be him or Fernando Tatis. I think that those guys have a lot to prove. Specifically, Tatis has a lot to prove. But Acuna, there's been a lot of talk about the power's gone. Maybe the Braves will trade him. They don't really need him. They won the World Series without him. I heard a lot of fairly ignorant takes regarding Ronald Acuna this last six, eight months or so, I guess. He's expendable and this and that. It's like he is, you know, probably the best center fielder in in the game. He is all around player, you know, top two or three, at worst, top five player in baseball for me. There is no need to fade him. He is a year removed from the ACL injury. We've talked about this, could be hindering his power a little bit. And yes, maybe next year the power goes back up a bit and the steals go back down. But this is a really comfortable spot for Acuna. His max pick was number six. Someone was able to get him at pick six. That's incredible for me. I don't know how you're able to do it. I guess everybody else, the top five, would have had to have been Turner, Rodriguez, Acuna, Judge, and I guess Shohei Otani would be be the fifth one. Ah, I don't know how he's fallen to six. But Jose Ramirez also fell to six in the draft. And Jose Ramirez, I've seen him go first in a couple of drafts. So there's still a little bit of wiggle room there. And I think you're not really going to go wrong taking any of these guys, you know, in the top four. But there's definitely a little more risk with taking Julio as opposed to these other guys, as far as I see it. And I I don't want it to look like I'm, you know, bashing on Julio. Uh, He doesn't like Julio. They knocked out his Blue Jays in the playoffs. That might be true. But that has nothing to do with what we're talking about here. I think that this is just a little bit too handsome of a price to pay for him. Now the other guy going first or who has a minimum pick of one who went first overall in a draft is Shohei Ohtani. His ADP is 7.5. The minimum pick is one max is 16. This is kind of tricky as well. Ohtani is, is really difficult in this kind of format because every week you're deciding if he's going to be a pitcher for you or if he's going to be a hitter, you don't have both. There's, you know, an ESPN, you have both daily changes Otani, and we're going to do some ESPN shows later this week. By the way, we're going to talk about the ESPN format a little bit. Otani is the number one in that format without fail. I think this year he had, I think he had nine hundred points throughout the year, and then the next best I think was Judge with like six hundred. It's really, truly not even close in that kind of format. Now, in Yahoo, you draft two separate players: you draft Otani pitcher and Otani batter, which is probably the way that it's most fair. Uh, if you have both Otani's daily changes. That is a huge cheat code. If you if you have that first overall pick in those formats, you're you're setting yourself up for a good season uh for sure, and it's all luck of the draw, really. But when you're talking about the NFBC where you have to choose one or the other every week, you lose a good portion of his value one way or the other. And it is kind of like a little insurance policy. I saw I wish I could credit them because I forget who said it on Twitter the other day. It might have been Dave McDonald. He's talking about you have that insurance policy if you draft them. Like, you know, you draft your roster of pitchers and your roster of hitters, and then if one of your major assets goes down on either side, then that's where you put an Otani. You know, you draft Corbin Burns or somebody, you're probably not going to get Burns and Otani, but let's say you did, hypothetically, you get Burns, or maybe Burns is not a great example. Let's say you draft, um, I don't know, I guess it's not a bad example. We could use Corbin Burns, I suppose. Corbin Burns and Otani are your first two picks. It's probably not too likely, but it's, I mean, maybe you could do it. If Burns does go down, then Otani simply becomes your ace in that situation. And this is, of course, barring injuries or any other weird shit that goes on, which we know is totally possible. But let's say you go for Otani and Burns and Burns goes down. Otani becomes your ace. Let's say you go Otani in the first and you go with, Freddie Freeman in the second, or you go with, I don't know, Devers or Pete Alonso or somebody else and they get hurt. Then Otani just becomes that much more valuable as a bat. And then you kind of, you kind of know where to play him at that point. Cause you know where you're lacking, <clears throat> but at the same time, he's going to be your first round pick wherever you're drafting. I mean, if not on Yahoo, most likely because of the two separate players, but we're talking NFBC right now, he's going in the first round, Pretty much every time Uh, he felt a 16 in a draft. So I guess someone was able to get him uh, beginning of the second, which is incredible, but you're going to have to take him and he's going to kind of serve as that insurance policy for you from your first overall, not first overall, but first round pick. And of course he's going to be giving you production. He's not just an insurance policy, but you're losing half of that production every week, right? It's, it's hard to ever start him as a pitcher in this format. You're, you're you're almost never going to get a two start week from him. I don't know that he'll, ever do that maybe maybe it happens once or twice I don't know that he's ever actually had it that's a good question I don't know the answer to has he ever had a two-start fantasy week before maybe he has it's they're few and far far in between for Otani you're going to be using him as a utility player most of the time that's where his eligibility is as a utility player And maybe you start him if it's, you know, you've got one matchup during the week for pitching. He's only maybe playing four games in the field or five games they have scheduled, and they have a juicy matchup, you know, in Oakland against the Athletics. Maybe you start him as a pitcher there, but you're losing a lot of the value that is Shohei Otani just because of the site you're playing on here. So I don't know that I'd love him in this range. There's also the double injury risk, which they were talking about at first pitch Arizona. I think it was Ariel Cohen saying... You know he has twice as much risk of getting injured as any other player, which is totally true. He can get injured taking at bats. He can get injured in batting practice for sure. But that pitching risk is is huge. Uh, pitchers get hurt fairly frequently. He's a guy who has been injured in the past. I think he missed all of 2019. Was it Tommy? I think it was Tommy John surgery he had in 2019. Missed the whole year. Maybe it's not something that's likely to repeat. Not that particular injury, but injuries in general for a guy who is playing the field and who is, who is pitching consistently. I mean, I think that's something we have to think about. And if I recall correctly, uh, he played a lot of games these last Yeah, he played 157 games this year and 155 last year. That's a lot of tread on the tires. Not that that's really indicative of that much. We've spent a lot of time talking about injury risk and kind of the fallacies that go with that. It's still something, though. I mean, he has only missed 12 games over the last 320-something. Like, that's that's not a lot of rest, especially with what he is asked to do on the Angels. He's asked to be literally an, an everyman, and I still think that they should trade him. I think that they should trade Otani and Trout, start over. There's no, there's no good that's going to come out of keeping these guys into their 30s, letting their trade value just deplete over the years, and probably not doing a hell of a lot in the standings in the meantime. I think that they should trade both of them, and then that would obviously... Again, that's probably not going to happen. That would obviously make us have to reevaluate everything. But for right now, I'm not really crazy about taking Otani here at pick seven. 7.5 by ADP. Someone took him first overall. I'm, I'm definitely more skeptical when it comes to Shohei. And while we're talking about the guys that I'm skeptical on, let's move on and talk about another one. Bobby Witt, Jr., We've priced him out. We have, we have, as a community, made him too expensive for me to be interested in, and I think for a lot of people. His ADP is 8.07. He's going as pick 8 on average. His minimum pick is pick 3. Like, just to put it in perspective, we talked about the guys whose minimum pick is 1, you know, those really chalky names, Turner, Rodriguez, Acuna, uh, Ramirez, and Shohei. Then, if you're looking at guys whose minimum pick is 2, there's only 1. It's Aaron Judge. Someone took Aaron Judge second overall. Then you're going up to pick three. Who is going as pick three with their minimum pick? The only guy there is Bobby Witt Jr. We are expecting a huge jump as a community for a guy who, granted, is very good, but he doesn't hit for a terribly high batting average. He's not on a good team. We're hoping for massive jumps from Bobby Witt Jr. When maybe he takes one, it's the same kind of argument with Julio. Maybe he takes a step forward. Maybe he takes a step back. It was 20 homers, 30 stolen bases this year. Maybe it's 17 homers and 24 stolen bases next year. That wouldn't be that appealing, especially not with pick three. I I like the Royals. I, I really like their lineup, but at the same time, we have to kind of look, take a step back and look at it. There's Pasquantino, who I think is going to be really good, who I also think might be a touch overrated in the market, but that's a conversation for another day. We got Sal Perez, who hopefully he's healthy. Hopefully he's good still. Uh, he's not a spring chicken anymore, Sal Perez. I think he's 35. Let me take a look real quick. I think he's about 35. He's only 32. I'm really surprised that he's only 32. Wow, he's going to be 33 at the beginning of next year. But, I, wow, I thought he was older than that. I think it's because, yeah, he started when he was only 21. It feels like he's been in the league forever, which is probably why I'm thinking that. But, yeah, maybe he stays healthy. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe MJ Melendez is is really good. Maybe Mondesi comes back, and he's really good. I think that this team has potential to be – Maybe not a juggernaut offensively. That'd be putting it too too strongly, but they can be a really solid team, and I don't know that that's really gonna put it, gonna cut it for me. Like I've been a fan of them. If you guys listen to the show regularly, there's some people who listen regularly. I hope anyway. Um, you guys know that I've talked about the Royals quite a bit. I've talked about how next season could be a good year for them. It could be. It's probably not gonna be a playoff year, but you know they bring in a couple of arms. That lineup could be all right. They could be a 500 team or so. But that doesn't think, I don't really think that means that Bobby Witt Jr. is going to be worth taking this high up. I think maybe part of it is the third base eligibility and the scarcity of third. Maybe. I can't get behind it. I know a lot of people really like him, but the batting average is, is okay 254. I mean, you know, modern, modern batting average is shit anyway, so maybe it's not such a huge concern. But at this stage in the draft, it feels really, really early. Like, earlier in draft season, when the first bit of ADP data started being released, he was around 15 or so. Uh, That was generally where he was going. And now it's like, what what have we done? We've just... We've taken all the fun out of drafting Bobby Witt Jr. And I I don't think that I'm going to have any shares at this point. Excuse me, guys. I don't think I'm going to have any shares at this point, considering the way that the price has gone. Like, he's somebody who's... Not getting on base a ton. He doesn't walk very much, less than 5%. His BABIP was okay this year, 295, which is, you know, about, about average, about what you could probably expect from him. I, I don't know that we're going to see a drastic increase in batting average. I don't know that the home runs are going to go that much higher. Maybe they go a little bit higher. And the steals, I think the 30 might be about as much as we can hope for from him, about as much we can hope for from anybody. People don't really steal more than 30 bases, so expecting, like, Drafting him and saying, "Yeah, he can go for 30 homers and 40 steals and 100 and 100 and bat 300." Like it's just, it's not going to happen. There are guys who are going below him who are a lot safer. I would much rather take Mookie Betts than Bobby Witt. I would much rather take Jordan Alvarez, and Bobaschette, Manny Machado, probably as well. Um, You know, you can keep going down, and I mean, you could make the argument here. I'm, I'm not going to make it right now I'll think about it maybe I'll make it another time that you could argue that Tatis should be taken ahead of Bobby Witt Jr. Better team better overall fantasy game sure he's going to miss 20 games or so but who's to say that Bobby Witt Jr. is not going to miss time throughout the season a lot of players do end up missing time he played 150 games this year maybe it's 130 next year you know we forecasting games played is tricky and it's not great with Tatis we know he's going to miss 20 off the top but I just think that we're overvaluing Bobby Witt to the point where I'd look at, at Tatis, even knowing that, and say maybe I would take him, especially you're getting him a couple rounds later. I don't know, guys. This is just seems it seems like we have we've screwed up here with, with Bobby Witt. We have made him we've made him way too expensive. And maybe he won't go this high in your home league drafts. Maybe this is, you know, people expecting I, I really don't know. I don't know how to how to describe why this has happened. I think a lot of people are big on him in the community, but this is this is really crazy. Uh, home league drafts. He's probably not going to go quite this high. I still think people will go for your Juan Sotos and your Mookie's and your Vlad Juniors over him, just because a lot of people who play fantasy are are baseball fans, but I don't think they're like hard hardcore. A lot of them, especially if you're playing on ESPN or you're playing on Yahoo, CBS, it's more of a home league you might not be taking Bobby Witt Jr. you're ahead of some of those other established names. And I think that that's probably more correct. I think that we have collectively made him not really attractive anymore. And it sucks because if he was going 15, 15, 16, you know, Frank Stample got him at the end of the first in our DC in, uh, in Arizona. That's where I would be all right with him. 15 and 16. I think he went Bobby Witt and then Vlad combo, which is, which is really cool. I'm I'm cool with that. But if we're pushing him up where we have here, top 10 pick, I'm going to be all the way out. Now, as we keep going down here, I think that the draft board is is pretty good. I don't think there's anything that's too crazy in these first couple of rounds. I think Rafael Devers is going a little bit too high just because there's still some uncertainty about what's going to happen with Boston. I don't know that he's going to be back necessarily. I still think, and maybe I'm crazy for thinking this, I think that Boston is going to trade him. I think they're going to let Bogarts walk. I think he's going to end up being too expensive, and they're going to enter into sort of a rebuild because of you know the strength of the division right now. It doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense to go push the chips into the middle. Maybe they do. Maybe they think, okay, story, if we can bring back Bogarts. Endeavors will extend him and maybe add another couple pieces here and there and Verdugo and blah, blah, blah. Maybe we can be competitive, especially playing less games in the division next year. Maybe they'll think that, but I still have a feeling that there's not going to be... That much interest with Bogarts and coming back. He was pretty critical of the team. I would be expecting him to move on. And at that point, I think they might say, okay, we might have to cut our losses here, get rid of Chris Sale as well, get rid of Devers, probably not get rid of Story, but who knows. I don't expect that he's going to flourish next season as of right now. And he's going, on average, pick 19. Minimum of uh, 14, maximum of 27. We've talked about Devers. We talked about him on the third base show and I just don't have that faith in him right now. We saw a massive drop-off in his counting stats this year. He lost 17 runs. He lost 25 RBIs from last season. He also lost 11 homers, a couple of steals. His batting average went up 16 points, which is cool. Went from 279 to 295. Maybe that sticks. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's back at 280-something. Who? It's It's hard to tell. But in terms of the counting stats, that's a little bit easier for me to tell as of right now because there's not really that much help there, and we saw it this year. You're going to lose some value. You're going to go from like a first or second round player to a third or fourth round player. He's being drafted right now with the expectation that he will return to second round form. I just don't have that much faith. And again, similarly to Bobby Witt, maybe the price is getting pushed up a little bit because he plays third base because the position is fairly scarce. But for me, that's not a reason to be taking a guy in the second round just solely because of that. And I know it's not, Just because of that, there is still great production that Devers will give you. He's almost a lock for 25 homers, you know, close to 80 RBIs and a good batting average, which is definitely not nothing. But we're looking probably a little bit too, um, I don't know, too much through the lens of 2021 and that massive season he had, as opposed to kind of factoring in everything that's going on with the Red Sox and just saying... Okay, maybe we shouldn't be so, so secure in, in in projecting him right now because we just don't know what we're projecting. We don't know if it's going to be with Boston. We don't know if he's going to be in the American League. We don't know anything at this point. And a lot of people might think, yes, he's obviously going to be coming back to Boston. There's no reason not to. But he's a 26-year-old stud who plays a scarce position, who's on a team that's not really looking too bright right now, And I wouldn't be shocked if they traded him for a massive Soto-esque package. It wouldn't probably be quite as much. But you save money with Bogarts, you trade Devers, maybe you trade Chris Sale, maybe, I don't know, a couple other guys get moved perhaps. I think that that's probably their wisest course to take right now. Whether they do or not, I don't know. But even if they do nothing, they bring back Devers, they bring back Bogarts, they say one more time, blah, 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 whatever it is. I still don't think I could be taking Raphael Devers at this range at pick 20. you got Austin Riley going three picks behind him, and I think that I'd probably rather take Austin Riley at this point. I mean, we have a much better lineup. Not even close. It's a much better lineup. You have a guy who had a really good season this year, Austin Riley, as well, and he didn't really go down from the previous year. And I know that these numbers can bounce around a little bit, RBIs, and and runs scored. But Devers remained about the same. Uh, you know, 91 runs, or not Devers, excuse me, Austin Riley went from 91 runs to 90. The RBIs dropped a little bit. They dropped 14, but the home runs went up by five. He's someone where I look at him and I'd say I'm a little bit more comfortable projecting him in the second round here as opposed to Devers. And they're going right beside each other. So I think I'm, I'm going to be taking um, Austin Riley right now. I don't really know why Devers is so, so high up on the board. He seems, for me, uh, again, a little overpriced which goes back to third base. And maybe that is why you would take Jose Ramirez a little bit earlier than you might want to. You get the second overall pick, or maybe you get the first overall pick, and you say, you know what? Trey Turner's only going to be shortstop for me. Where Jose Ramirez, the production is comparable, and I get to take care of that position real early, I wouldn't have a big problem with it. But reaching for, for Witt and for Devers, it doesn't make that much sense to me. Uh, Bryce Harper's going right around this same range here as Raphael Devers, both around pick 19. Now Harper was going, I believe, pick 15 as of the other day. Now his minimum pick is six, maximum 98. That's because we are unsure about what's going to happen with him. I don't want to spend a lot of time on him because we we still don't know what's going to happen. The procedure I believe is this Wednesday, and then we will provide an update about what I what I expect because – They might tell us that he's going to have Tommy John surgery. He's going to come back at some point, mid-June, early July. At that point, yeah, um, probably in the – it's hard to say, really. 70s or 80s is where he will probably end up at that point. Definitely still top 100. But if you were drafting like today right now, I think it's kind of a little bit difficult to take him just because of the uncertainty, right? I like to project a little bit of – you know. You can't project certainty. That's about to sound really stupid there. Look back on previous seasons, of course, look at injury risks and guys who are injured coming into the season. And it's hard to draft a guy who is injured coming into the season without a doubt. But if you can get him at enough of a discount right now where you'd say, okay, I don't even really care if he has to miss three months. This is fine for me. Let's say it goes into that 70, 80 range. I'd be fine with him there without knowing anything else. If we get back news, like if, like if you're drafting right this second and you're on the clock at pick 75, I would take Bryce Harper in a heartbeat. If you're in the 30s or 40s right now, granted, it is going to be a little bit challenging until we have a concrete view of what's going to be the timeline. It might be not that bad. Like they might go in there and dig around the elbow and say, okay, this is, you know, we have a small procedure, clean up a couple of things. It's not as bad as we thought. He'll be ready for opening day. And then at that point, if you got him so late, you're going to really, really be happy. I think you're probably not going to be happy if you took him sixth overall, but there's a chance that he might still end up getting to that point. It just It just goes to the point of, we don't know what's going to happen with him. So there is definitely a lot of risk, but there's also a lot of value right now because of that uncertainty. If he's, if he's falling close to pick 100, you have to take him. Even if he misses three months, even if he misses four months and you get you know, two and a a bit months out of Bryce Harper, I would argue that he's still close to a top 100 player there. So see if you can get some value out of him. He's not currently right now going to be going in the top couple of rounds. See how far he can slide. See if you can capitalize because there is definitely room to capitalize. I don't know that everybody's going to be letting him fall. I could see getting into a draft later and seeing him still go in the 20s, and it wouldn't shock me, but he is going to be falling for a lot of people. A lot of people are worried and this is where you can make up a little bit of ground. Let's talk about a couple of other guys here before I let you guys go. I think it's kind of interesting just looking at Mike Trout and Fernando Tatis beside each other here at ADP 24 and 25. It's just crazy to think like how far these guys have fallen. And it's not even that bad, really. But when you just think about the quality of the players, what they are capable of doing, the fact that they are arguably... When healthy, the best in baseball at their respective positions, it's a little bit crazy. In terms of Trout, at pick 24, I think you kind of have to take it here. Uh, I think that's generally where he was going last season in this kind of... Maybe he was going a little bit higher, actually. Maybe he was going in the teens. Uh, But I think this is probably about correct. I think that he's probably going to be back on the Angels, despite the fact that I wish he wouldn't be. And he'll still do about what he did for you this year, which is a lot of home runs. Maybe it's not quite as many because of the back. The back is a, is a bit of a worry. But right after we had that concern about his back, they released the news that he was going to be dealing with this for the rest of his life, rest of his career is going to be impacted. He was mashing after that. So it kind of you know, mitigates the risk a little bit when you see that he was still able to go out there and perform at an elite level. And he actually had his highest home run pace that he's ever had in a season before this year. It comes with a slightly lower batting average than what we have been accustomed to, and obviously the steals are gone. But late, middle, second round here, pick 24, 25, I think that makes a lot of sense with Mike Trout. I wouldn't really want him to be my first bat. I think you should probably go for another outfielder or another batter in general if you're going to go with Mike Trout because there is still some risk, but I think the risk is weighed down or a little bit by the fact that he is going so late. If you were getting him in the first round still, I wouldn't be interested but at this point, uh, I think that you would do it. And I think I'm going to put a, a poll later on Twitter. Tatis and Trout going so close beside each other. Who would you rather take? And I think it's a pretty interesting question. And I'm honestly not sure still about Fernando Tatis Jr. and his eligibility, if he's going to be eligible in the outfield or not. Because it still says that he is over on the NFBC site. I don't know how much they've updated yet, though. Because he played 20 game, 24 games in the outfield in 2021 and then didn't play at all this past season. So I'm not really sure how that will impact their ADP, or not their ADP, their position eligibility. I think it will to some degree, uh, but I'm going to have to get some clarity on that because I'm I'm really not too sure, and I should be before I start drafting Tatis. Definitely going to have some Tatis shares. I picked 25 here, but I think it is also worth noting that I think it was right when we started our review shows, right when the season ended pretty much, his ADP was 37. And now we're looking at 25, and who knows where it'll end up get him while you can get him while you can. If you're getting him still possibly early third round, late second, because it's not going to be like that forever. He will be somebody who ends up costing you possibly a first round pick. And in some drafts, I mean, his minimum pick is 15. He's already gone in the first round. So get him while you can late mid mid to late second. And I think you should be able to make up uh, quite a bit of value there. Uh, Nothing else. That's too crazy at the top of the board here. We're just doing uh, position players today. We haven't really started off with our pitching review and preview stuff. We're going to talk with Michael Simeone. We've actually had to move that one back to next week. There's some scheduling problems on on my behalf. So we're going to be doing that one next week. So this week we will fiddle around with some more position player stuff with some ADP business. And we're also going to look at the ESPN uh, league settings and league strategies over there. Because I know a lot of people still play on ESPN. Even though I poo-poo it and I mostly focus on Yahoo!, and I, I've been pretty critical of, of their site and their whole their whole product for baseball, really. And I, I maybe I shouldn't be. I still want to go over their their platform because a lot of people play it, but it's 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 very flawed. There are certain things that you have to be really aware of when drafting and playing over there. So we're gonna talk about that later on this week at some point, and then next week we are really gonna ramp up our pitching, guys. But that will be it for today. We will pick it up tomorrow. I think maybe tomorrow. We're still going to figure it out. I'm not 100% sure what we're going to do yet, but I'll let you guys know. Over on Twitter, assuming it still exists by the time you guys hear this, at JoeOrico99, also at EthosFantasyBB. And, of course, get joined up in our Discord. Send me a message at JoeOrico99. You can message Dan Bespris as well. I think the links are still on his Twitter, at D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Click the join link, send one of us a message. We'll get you guys set up in there. We've had a lot of people join over the weekend. It's a great community. We've got over there about a thousand plus members now. So get yourself involved, get yourself talking with other people in the community. All it can do is help you get more informed about different topics. But guys, leave a five-star review on the podcast. Some kind words below would also go a long way. And make sure that you are subscribed and listen to tomorrow's podcast. We'll be releasing it about the same time, mid to late afternoon. But that's enough rambling out of me, guys. Until then, take care. And cheers. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks, that's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel.